Hi, I'm Gabriel Stelian Shanks, the Artistic Director of the Drama League in New York City. Welcome to Talking Direction, the behind-the-scenes podcast going deep into the worlds of theater, film, television, and online content to celebrate directors, those visionary artists at the center of the plays, musicals, movie, and television shows enjoyed around the world. Each week, we welcome acclaimed guests to explore imagination, risk-taking, and craft, as well as looking at the past, present, and future of the creative industries. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. We're available on all platforms or by visiting dramaleague.org. Thanks for listening and for talking direction. For longer than most of us have been alive, Philip Arnaud has been a leader in the exciting and complicated intersections of American and international theater. He founded the Baltimore Theater Project in 1971 and led the company for two decades, presenting a now legendary mix of local, national, and international companies there, including Teatro de Complicité, Palabolas, Bread and Puppet Theater, Urban Bushwomen, The Playgroup, Spiderwoman Theater, and more. In 1991, he founded the Center for International Theater Development, which has had a constant focus in Russia, Hungary, Poland, Bulgaria, Slovakia, and Romania. In the last 30 years, among many other accomplishments, CITD has helped directors from those countries work in the U.S. at the American Repertory Theater, Arena Stage, Woolly Mammoth, Portland Center Stage, the Wilma Theater, and New York Theater Workshop, among many others. Working with his longtime partner in Russia, John Friedman, they together developed the new Russian drama project, Voices in a Shifting Age. 26 plays were translated into English and published. A second project translated and adapted plays by Annie Baker, Chuck Mee, Adam Rapp, Susan Laurie Parks, Nilo Cruz, Deborah Zoloffer, and Eric Bogosian, resulting in over two dozen Russian productions in Moscow and beyond. Arno also founded the U.S.-Netherlands Touring and Exchange Initiative, supporting Dutch companies in performance at the Annenberg Center in Philadelphia, Seven Stages in Atlanta, and multiple New York theaters, New York Theater Workshop and the Ohio Theater among them. Of particular note to American audiences is Philip's crucial introduction of the Dutch director Eva van Hove to New York Theater Workshop, which began a string of critical hit productions for the director that now sees van Hove's work regularly appear on Broadway. Arnaud began a decade-long project in Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda in 1998. The development of a media, arts, and culture program there led to initiatives in professional training, exchange, and commissioning. He also worked closely with a cohort of Kenyan artists around the creation of the Go Down Art Center in Nairobi, which opened in 2003. The Sundance East African Theater Lab grew out of early joint projects in the region with CITD. Today, he continues a 25-year relationship with Towson University's graduate program in theater and has also served on panels and boards for the National Endowment for the Arts, the Pew Charitable Trust, the Maryland Arts Council, and the U.S. State Department. He has worked closely with the Trust for Mutual Understanding on a wide array of projects. Philip is the recipient of the 1990 Rosamund Gilder Award from the U.S. Center of the International Theater Institute, ITI, the 2014 Adam Mikowitz Laureate, the Polish Order of Merit for Culture, and was named the 13th UNESCO World Theater Ambassador. It is my great pleasure with a bio like that to welcome Philip Arnaud. Hi, Philip. How are you? 
tired after listening to that. (laughs) (laughs) You've done a lot of stuff. It's really great. Let me also introduce your close friend and colleague, Yuri Ernoff, who's joining us today. Yuri, many of us know, is one of the artistic directors of the Wilba Theater in Philadelphia. Born in Moscow, Yuri graduated from the Russian Academy of Theater Art and has directed over 40 productions in his home country, in Europe, Africa, and the United States. Listeners may have seen his productions recently of Hedda Gabler and Uba Roy at Cutting Ball Theater in San Francisco, or Three Sisters at Salvage Vanguard in Austin, The Pillow Man at Forum Theater in Washington, D.C., Mr. Burns at the Wilma, or Marie Antoinette at Woolly Mammoth Theater in D.C., where Yuri has been a proud company member since 2014. Yuri serves as an associate director of CITD with Philip, and during his 20 year-long partnership there, Yuri participated in and co-produced multiple U.S.-East European cultural exchange projects. He has also translated plays of Martin McDonough, Sarah Rule, and Edward Albee into Russian, and several contemporary Russian plays into English. Yuri, welcome to Talking Direction. It's great to have you. Uh, Thank you, Gabriel. I have to say, we've been doing this podcast for about a year now, and those are the longest bios I have ever read. (laughs) Um, But I couldn't leave anything out because I think it's so important uh, for our listeners to understand just the depth of um, experience and understanding of the way theater works in the world that you two bring to CITD and to the entire idea of international exchange. Um, Philip, I think I'm going to start with you there. You know, both you and Yuri have have committed much of your lives and your work to the idea of international theater exchange. And, I, you know, you taught me at a very early point in my career that, you know, exchange among artists and audience is, is the path to global understanding of other cultures and people. Um, so I think I want to begin, Philip, you know, why, what brought you to this work and why has it been so important for you to do this work? The through line is the work that I've done uh, in Eastern Europe. And uh, I don't, I did, I did one of those uh, ancestry, you know, where you swab your... <laughs> <laughs> your cheek and send it off. And I just, I don't have any blood from that part of the world. <laughs> I simply went there and saw the most extraordinary theater. It all came together for me there. And I kept going back. Um, I think I first saw the work probably, well, Grotowski. Grotowski in the late 60s, mm-hmm. I was aware of, uh, and in the early 70s, uh, saw the work. I saw Apocalypse's Cum Figuris, and it, uh, it just transformed me, and I was very curious about what was the mix that allowed or well that allowed that to happen and it's you know a combination of a a fierce vision and incredibly well-trained actors i always felt 
that if uh, Chislak wanted to levitate three feet off the ground and move from one side of the platform to the other, he could do it. He just chose not to do it. Um, so I, you know, that was my journey um, that got me off shore. Uh, and I went to Poland, but my first international trip was in 1975, um, being invited to the Theater of Nations, to the University of Theater of Nations that uh, Grotowski, uh, Grotowski had come to visit me in Baltimore. Uh, he was traveling incognito in 73 or 74, looking for an American partner for a project called the Pillar of Fire. And uh, he was, there was a, a really important director in Washington at that time where the Kennedy Center was opening and arena was, you know, in full blossoming. Uh, Tony Abison, who had this very small Grotowski-inspired company, um, I produced them at the Theater Project. Tony knew of my work, and I got a call from Tony one day. I think it was late at night, actually, saying, Philip, I'm in... Colorado, and I've been traveling with incognito with Grotowski, trying to find a partner. And we visited n number of theaters, n number of folks, nothing. Can we come visit you? And the Iowa Theater Lab was in residence on Preston Street in Baltimore. I said yes. Grotowski came. We spent I think he was with me three days. He stayed in Dan, the poet Daniel Mark Epstein, who was then on my board, Daniel Mark's apartment, right in Mount Vernon Square in Baltimore. Saw the Iowa Theater Lab, met with Rick Zank and the gang, which is a whole other story I won't go into, but invited, we talked about the Pillar of Fire. And... Um, said he wanted uh, he wanted me to do it with him. There would be one of these in America. And what he was doing was both looking for a partner and looking for a mountain in America. And there would be this pair of mountains that would, um, I mean, it was, when I think back on it, he wanted to fly uh, uh, Jackie Kennedy and on helicopters and all of the glitterati to the top of the mountain for a ritual piece that had a pillar of fire that you could see from space. And uh, I thought, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, but then he fleshed out the vision. He said, but that's the outside the real inside are these bands around the mountain that would host 
companies and there would be a band at the bottom of the mountain that would really be open to the villages or to anybody, you know, whatever, very public. And then there would be a band in the middle of three or four centers around the mountain. And the centers could be like Nagrobli, the place he built outside of uh, Wrocław, where deep research took place. It was protected. And this had a decade-long vision to it. Uh, and that the artists, I mean, it was like a total ecology that artists can move between the three. And certainly they wouldn't be playing eight a week at the top of the mountain. That would be, you know, like the the Met Gala. You do that a couple of times. But really the research and the the real presence in the community. And that, that vision was 1973. And as I spin it out for you right now, I think how close we are to that right now in how we look at what is going to happen in this uh, thing called theater as we come out of this liminal time of a year or more of dealing with this horrible plague. I think so, what's so fascinating about you telling us about this, you know, first of all, a first person experience of Grotowski is stunning to hear, but also how many artists in this pandemic have been coming back to Grotowski. Um, uh, I know that I reread his work during this time, and I think you're right. I think there's a um, a possible path forward um, for theater uh, as we come back from the pandemic by looking to his work. Um, it it you know it's it's I have spent so much of my life just in thrall to these kinds of stories, Philip. Um, about uh, the career and the incredible artists you've worked with. Uh, But since we have one of those artists that I so love and admire on the call, Yuri, this makes me wonder how you met Philip. Did you meet Philip first in Russia? (laughs) I like you putting me into the same boat, yes. (laughs) Thank thank you, Yuri. I think you are. You're part of the story. Uh, We met, I believe it was 2000. Uh, and and I think it was one of the first groups Philip was taking uh, to Golden Mask, the groups of American artists. And I was my first year of grad school, or the second year of my grad school then, and I was working with the Golden Mask. So I helped show show them around, and I helped you know connect them, translate it for them, help them you know travel to the shows. And that 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 kept happening for for a number of years. So I've met a lot of Americans on the other side, showing them the Russian theater. Then, and when did that move from being a translator to someone who was working with Philip? Uh, I, I I my experience of you was was Philip telling me about this incredible Russian director. Um, so when did you move from being 
you know, the tour guide and the translator for these uh, Americans to, to working with Philip in a deeper way. Let me jump in here and say that it was a movement on both sides. Uh, you know, he was charming. He had great English. He knew everybody, but he was a director. Yeah. And I saw his early work. I saw when he got out of Giddes, I saw some substantial work that he did in Russia. Uh, and then I, when we were going over and we were going to see Fokin and going to the, the Moscow Art Theater, if I could squeeze in a production that he had somewhere, this young, not unknown, but this young breakthrough director, we'd go see it. Because I, you know, he had pitch perfect English. He uh, had an American experience. Um, you know, the delight to be around. And then I saw the proof in the pudding of a very strong directorial uh, foundation, if you will. So I was hoping to get him work in America. And so we, I think the time you met him is I just figured out a way to put him on an airplane and get him to come visit me and maybe a couple of theaters on the East Coast. Um, but also at the same time, I was doing the work in East Africa. And I brought him to uh, Uganda to do a month-long director's workshop for uh, a group of directors from Tanzania, uh, Kenya, and Uganda. And again, I visited, I think I visited twice because I was based in Nairobi. Uh, and I saw him in the middle of things. And then I think I saw what the final projects were. And, you know, that just nailed it again, that here was a very talented guy. Uh, and uh, and it's always, I don't uh, this is probably a sidebar, uh, but it's always been really important to me put the work together with the artist. The person is as important to me as the product because the product gets finished and the person continues. And here was somebody I knew I wanted to work with for a long time. I think that's the, one of the big threads under your career, Philip is, is the idea that you have, you you have brought productions from country to country. You have certainly shared the work, but but central to the idea of what CIT does is the idea that artists need to be in um, connection with other artists. And you've brought people together that sometimes has created you know decades long relationships, and sometimes it's been a fleeting moment, but it's always been um, work that. Um, changes the conversation of theater on on this planet um is there uh when we talk about citd and the forming of that in 1991 
at the core of that work, how do you keep the focus on people? How do you keep the focus on making sure um, artists come together? I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. (laughs) And I was the oldest of two brothers. And we would take Sunday rides because we didn't have any money. We'd just go ride on Sunday and we'd go over the Mississippi River on the hand-to-hand bridge. And one day we were riding over the bridge and my brother and I are in the back seat making a little fight. And my mother said, you boys stop that now. You boys stop that now. And we kept on doing it. And finally my father slapped the back of my mother's chair or or seat. And he said, that boy's so goddamn hard-headed. If he fell off this bridge right now, they'd find his body upstream. (laughs) So uh, I just had it in my craw that that, you know, you could bring a wonderful work by an artist. And then the next time that artist, you know, went to bat, it wasn't so wonderful. uh, I had great... you know, I didn't think this up. This wasn't a parting of the cloud, it wasn't a burning bush. I had some real mentors, Martha Quanye, who, uh, from the founder, uh, not the founder, but for most of my career, uh, was the head of the International Theater Institute. ITI structure was based on it's changed a little bit now, but it was a network of individuals, not institutions. Uh, Ellen Stewart, uh, I sat at her knees more times, sat at her feet and listened to her more times than you would believe. Um, and there's a there's a real uh, there's a real history there of these two women that and then lastly i we just lost a few days ago an incredible woman uh, elizabeth mccormick and the foundation you mentioned the trust for mutual understanding the work that uh, uh, i do in eastern europe has been substantially funded and faithfully funded by TMU. Um, But Elizabeth was, uh, uh, I don't know when this will be aired, but in early December, uh, Elizabeth died at 98. She was a nun for 30 years and then became an advisor to the Rockefeller family and their philanthropic activities and was uh, with the founder of the Trust for Mutual Understanding. And I don't know if, I think this is Elizabeth's um, words and not the founders. We meet each other and we're changed. And how sublimely simple that is. 
Okay, and I think it was Elizabeth who said, encapsulated what the donor had in mind and how she held on to this. I was at a gathering with her on the 30th anniversary of the trust two years, three years ago, and and I heard her say it. We meet each other and we're changed. And yes. how wonderfully simple that is. If you open yourself up, if you listen, if you if you try to understand the theatrical ecology that this theater grows up in. Um, so with those mentors and that mantra uh, and with some successes uh, and with deep, deep relationships that I have still, I mean, when I go to Hungary uh, and sit down with, you know, George Laniel, who I've known for 40 years, uh, he's now retired, just won the Kostos Prize. When I sit with Robert L. Foti, former director of the National Theater that I've known for 30 years, mm-hmm. for Laszlo Upor, for Yuri Ornoff, 20 years, uh, that more than, you know, New York Times reviews is the proof of the pudding for me. I think so. And um, I was with you three years ago at that anniversary celebration of TMU. And uh, I just, on behalf of all of us, I want to send our regards to the TMU family for all of their support of the work and to Elizabeth's family. Um, She is a loss. And, you know, you're dropping in some ways, the history of, um, I don't know, the people who opened the gateway for America to be a part of the global theater world. When you talk about Ellen Stewart, when you talk about the incredible Martha Coignet, um, these are people who just literally opened pathways uh, like you have to create um not only for artists to meet each other, but for us to simply be exposed to each other. I think about, as you were talking, you know, the the first time I saw Double Edge Theater was with you in Massachusetts. The The first time I saw Teatro Ka and RS9 in Budapest was with you. And, um, you know, thanks, thanks to you, I have experienced and gotten to know Thomas Ostermeyer and Margarita Midladnova and Sasha Morfoff and, um, and, uh, oh God, uh, and Dima Krimov, you know, who might be, I'd have to think about it, but arguably might be my favorite director on planet earth. Um, and so I, I, Yuri, has it been a similar experience to you to do this work? I'm, I'm curious now that you are, not only working in multiple countries, but now running one of America's, you know, most important theater companies, um, how this work informs you as an artist, how it, it, how is it coming to fruition for you? Well, first of all, there is a good hope that Dima Krimov will be doing a show at Wilma next year. So. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, great. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Yes. Break it. yes. Oh, good. 
Good, so good. I kept my mouth shut, Yuri. Yeah, we can do it. No, we can do it. It can, it can, it can go public. He will be doing his version of Cherry Orchard with Will Makers. You are, uh, I will road trip to make it there. I will (laughs) see you there. You're very welcome Uh, to. Oh, that makes me so excited. Breaking news on your blog here. Right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's very much thanks to Pew Foundation. We got their grant. Uh, So that's, 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 that's big news for us. And he's also one of my favorite directors in the world. So for, for, for me, this, this journey is, started with understanding how 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 slow the information in theater travels comparing to you know pretty much any other industry in the world hmm. how you know i philip gave me this chance i think it was with more than one you know taking me to the festivals even around europe which was closer to my home than to his home but I remember at least one festival, I think it was 2009, and I think it was the uh, Grotowski's 100th anniversary, uh, when, yeah, right, in Wroclaw, the, the festival was when in probably seven days I've seen five most important productions of my life, right? And this, this amount of creative information then, then keeps feeding you for, for years, honestly, uh, is so hard to get access to, right? For, and it's even probably even harder. So when you know when 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 we now you know talking to American students and how do you how do you, how do you, how do you get that? How do you how do you how do you how do you watch something that is absolutely important for you to see when when you are when you're starting as an artist when you're learning as an artist. Uh, so the openness of the borders and the openness of of the channels for information to travel, at least that that felt from the very beginning like the most important thing for me to do in this industry. Really, it's like everybody else, right? Knows like like science knows everything about what's happening on the other side of the world, and they have and, and they have ways to pass this information. With theater, it's still oh, you know, these three people saw a Grotowski piece, and these five people saw Krimov piece, and that's kind of sad because we, because most most of us, even in the theater world, we are deprived of access to the to the best what's happening around the world of theater, you know. So that's that 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 was, I think, the main the main point for me for many years. I wanted to see stuff and I wanted other people to see stuff. I, I can't tell you how often Yuri that comes up in our work at the drama league. You know, we, we are a support organization for directors and I work with, you know, some of the greatest directors in America who have not only never seen the work of Kremov, but have never heard of Kremov. Mm-hmm. And um, it is a, question of access right it is a question of of how we get people at those formative stages exposed not to a globalist sense of what it means to make theater um and it also makes me wonder you know we're talking about uh you know a lot of people that we've interacted with over our careers i guess this is a question for both of you who is exciting you right now who who still gets you excited um, when you experience their work? Um, you know, 
as we as we talk about the possibility of Kremov coming to Philadelphia, um, who else would we love to um, see in production when we come back from the pandemic? Does anyone spring to mind for either of you? I, I have three people in my mind at the moment that keep. I mean, they're not they're not new, but it's Ostermeyer, Thomas Ostermeyer. Mm-hmm. Still, it's still it's still him. It's still Wurlikowski. And and Karimov probably probably these three are are guiding my world right now. Yeah, I I feel so lucky in New York that Susan Feldman at Saint Anne's Warehouse has given us uh, Ostermeyer Productions for the last few years. It's it's uh, it's been one of the great joys that he has become a regular presence there. Um, what about you, Philip? Who excites you now? Who well. Um... I think the horse on the inside is really breaking in Hungary. And that is um, a, a, a man who did, who has got a company called Stereo Act, Martin Boros. He did a, a bus piece. <clears throat> excuse me, he did a uh, taking an audience around Budapest in a bus. Uh, I had people see it. They did it in Baltimore at Single Carrot Theater, and it was one of the most successful, totally rewritten, but you got headphones on, you're going up and hearing a crack addict talk about his life in the middle of a verdant neighborhood of very expensive housing uh, and then little scenes are played outside the window and there's another choreography of a set of characters once they get on once one person gets on the bus but most of it is the theater in passing he's made another piece that he's working with uh, that got held up because of coronavirus his name is Martin Boros, and he's got another piece that he's uh, working on the homeless uh, called Addressless um, that I saw three years ago. And I left the theater changed. I can't look at anybody on the street again. It's a game piece. Uh, and he's doing that with Rattlestick, with uh, with. Uh, um, Daniela Topol. Yeah, Daniela. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited about that. But then he just opened in one of the major state theaters a piece that had nine actors and nine community people on stage about caregivers. And usually... Uh, the work is simple and small. This one is, uh, he's, people are getting to see it. I mean, the, if it's Thursday, theaters are closed in Hungary this week. If it's Friday, they're opening, but it's Saturday, they're closed. But it had a short run before another COVID closure. And a lot of, there's a real buzz for him. And I think he's going to be one of, I'd like to see him really get to a place where 
uh, he could move into a more fully realized theatrical environment than the work we've seen in this country so far. And then, you know, Krimov coming to America, I started introducing people when I took them to Moscow to Dima 10 years ago. And, and I talk about sometimes these things take a long time to cook, hmm. you know, um, because this is the one that he's building with Americans, that he's building with not just, uh, you know, he's not going to New York and doing a casting. One of the things that Blanca and now Yuri and the team are holding on to so centrally is this notion of the hothouse. So he'll be working, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Yuri, but he was drawn to these actors, to this theater environment, and this structure, this amazing structure that they're able to provide for an international director who comes to America and is told he's got three weeks to rehearse or four weeks to rehearse. Hmm. And she says, what? I, you know. <laughs> and so uh, I, uh, I want to I stick around long enough uh, to be up there for opening night in 20, what is it, 22, 23, or 21? No, no, it's 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 next season, so it it would it should be twenty two. It should be. I'll, should I'll be, make it, please, sir. Okay. Well, I'll make it. Um, you, Philip, you just sort of um, address something that I'm not sure is clear to all of our listeners, and that's sort of the difference in the way theater gets made, the different rehearsal practices, the the economics that are placed on American theater are not necessarily the case. Uh, when we talk about the economic structures of theater making in other countries. And you also referenced in just in passing um, some of the, the challenges that Hungary and, and its artists are facing right now. And one of the things that I find um, so essential about the Center for International Theater Development, CITD, and if you go to their website, you can get on their mailing list. Um, is that you and Yuri and your team make sure that those of us in the artistic community are aware of what's happening, not only artistically, but but socially and culturally and politically that's affecting artists around the world. And, you know, I think Americans have a very firsthand experience of <clears throat> a political upheaval that we're going through right now. Um, but I wonder if either of you could talk a little bit about uh, your work at CITD in this regard, how you track the the governments and the and the forces that are challenging artists in the places where you work. Well, first of all, I'm staring down the barrel of turning eighty in April. Um. My sell-by date, getting closer and closer. Uh, second of all, Yuri has been an associate director of CITD for the last two years. 
I'm very happy to announce that Howard Shalowitz has joined us in the leadership of CITD. Uh, recently, this year, uh, Howard is running a new initiative that, with all hubris I could put together, I, uh, runs through twenty. <laughs> 25. So I hope to be in, still at this when I'm 84, but you never know. <laughs> um, it's called Linkages. And it's, it's my, uh, uh, it's my, what, um, legacy project, I guess. But I'm looking at young leadership you talked about your your folks uh, who, who just are not aware that there's this whole world out there. Well, I'm really concerned about this the these tectonic changes that are happening in the American theater leadership, layered over by the the great damage that this shutting down that COVID has caused us and this un this liminal space where the uncertainty of the future. The one thing that is not uncertain is that there's still living and breathing people that are trying to get this thing that we love and that we give our lives to, to keep it alive after all of this. Um, so it's a, it, we're doing projects in Hungary, in uh, Poland, and I hope in Slovakia, where there's a real breath of hope with this new president. But I'm very much attuned to what's going on, to answer your question, uh, because I'm talking to these people. I'm talking to those artists all the time. I'm keeping... Uh, you know, I'm in communication and learn that the 155-year-old Academy of Drama and Film, historically a non-political, incredible training ground for the likes of, you know, Janos Saz, uh, for the likes of people certainly in the film world, yeah. uh, that, that, that university has effectively been shut down, has been taken over by Orban forces, and within eight years there'll be no, there'll be a very prescribed uh, a form of study that is going to be essentially propaganda. And right now there are people who've been in that university who are, I mean, they're also, they're looking at possible linkages with a remote Romanian university, Hungarian language university in Romania, other Europe, um, we're looking at, you know, the strong men. We've hopefully gotten rid of our guy, 
I was amazed in the fall when I would talk to my colleagues and they over there and I'd say, well, what can we do? And they'd say, get rid of Trump. Hmm. The, the, that, that axis, it, you know, I think we're going to see so once, once the man is gone and we have uh, a new foreign policy, I think it's going to put pressure on people in Poland and pressure on people in Hungary. Um, so again, we're, you know, keeping up that conversation. So with linkages, we're trying to just see through Zoom, not wait around till we can put people on airplanes. And we hope that we'll be able to deal with um, 21 artists from those three countries for a year or two before we get on airplanes. And then uh, 40, no, 63, some amazing number of Americans who are going to take a deep dive into those three cultures. And, you know, Howard, tomorrow I have the first, I sit in on the first two and a half hour Zoom call between Howard, two carefully chosen Americans and one carefully chosen um, Polish director, and that'll be the first of three. The they're transcribed, they're redacted, and then they're made available if anybody wants to hear the stories of what's going on now. But at least there'll be a history of of uh, of in the trenches now. The redacted interviews go to my archives at Johns Hopkins University, sealed, and then will be unsealed at the person who leaves the archives uh, directs. Uh, so I want people to still have relationships 20 years from now. That's That'll be my legacy that they can pick up the call and talk about art, talk about family, talk about politics, uh, talk about the reality of doing work and maybe even join each other in making things happen across the cultures. You know, you, you just said something that hit me so hard that this, you know, that there are living, breathing people, um, inside these productions and these plays. It's not just the theater that we are uh, trying to transform, but it's it's lives. It's it's the artist underneath that. When you I just also want to say, and in your career, I doubt you remember that the first place you ever took me in Europe was the Academy of Film and Theater in Budapest. And I just I just want to say that I think it is it was a stunning um, home for innovation and thought at that time. And it breaks my heart to hear you say, uh, that it is now had that had this fate. Um, I met Isvan Sabo, the Oscar winning film director on that trip. I, you know, I mean, it just, um, uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, 
but that personal cost feels really strong to me. You know, I, I think I have told you, but our listeners may not know that, you know, I, um, thanks to you, was able at the Drama League to create some international exchange programs in Bulgaria and Romania and met my um, spouse in uh, hey. on a trip to Romania. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm so I am proud of that. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> I, I mean, I think people don't know that there are babies that came out of your, you know, people met, fell in love and had children. Um, there, there's an enti- entire human story underneath this work. And, you know, Yuri, I'm curious, I, I don't know if you think of yourself as an immigrant in America or not, but certainly as someone who works in a variety of countries, I'm wondering about how the changing nature of, of culture and politics and, and how these, how it affects you as an artist and you in your work, does it have an effect on you? Certainly. And I think it's, it's changing. It's, it's also changing all over, right? I don't think, I don't think we should perceive it as like specifically internally American process. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. like we keep, we keep seeing how much these things are intertwined and how much, uh, you know, we, you know, it's now I think everybody in, in the United States understands that uh, like the presence, like Putin's presence on the world scene certainly affects more than just Russia and, and former, you know, Soviet Union and uh, Eastern European countries. But affects effect it does affect the whole world same could be said certainly about trump's presence in power for the last four years that was uh these are the hard these are the hard years for the world and the fact that 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 they are ending up with this crisis with this explosion in many places including you know and certainly strengthened by the covid I don't think should be a surprise for us. Uh, the good news about that is that, you know, I was again as, as a Russian whose 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 teens were in the nineties. I was born into crisis, and I think crisis is yes, it's a bad thing, but it's also potentially a healing thing. Mm. Uh, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to bring exactly the the uh, the, the parallels with Antonin Artaud's attitude to plague as 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 as, 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 <laughs> as the cleansing mechanism god forbid but uh but but i do think it 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 just it just puts the questions right in front of you right the things that we that that we that we take as normal as everyday from okay like you know what about what about what about artists pay like can we can can this model keep going without without switch to the to some kind of salaries for the for the for the artists for the actors for the for the designers like can we keep going in this can we keep going in this model will our will our theater survive these questions kind of kind of we take as as, as normal like you know we we kind of we don't we don't like all of that is not that visible outside crisis and crisis certainly brings it up same is happening certainly with the with the with the with the, with the we see you movement it it brings it up here and it makes people act right it makes it makes people change here and now and uh, so I, I find this i find this to be well logical and inevitable but also but also not that not dramatic but not tragic i hope that's i hope i am trying to see it as a moment of rejuvenation as the moment of as the as an opportunity for us to actually change and see 
at least the institution of theater differently. I I think that's so important that uh, as you know, I think about uh, the average, and I hate to sort of overgeneralize, but a, an an American who only knows Russia through the news, who only knows it through Putin, who suddenly gets to see a work of art created by Yuri Yurinov or by Dmitry Krimov, um, immediately our understanding of the world changes, right? Through, through art. And um, I think there's a real power there to sort of counter some narratives through theater making. Um, well, we are... Can, uh, can, I, yeah. can I add something here? Yeah. Uh, and, and it might be the circle to end it. One of the first questions you asked me was how I, how I keep track, how I find all these people. And it really is out of that trust. You have you make connections. You make trusted friends who will say to me, I mean, it was a friend who introduced me to Martin Boros five years ago, and I, and I followed his work. I met him first. I followed his work. What we're doing right now with the Linkages Project Russia, what do we do with Russia? And because Yuri still has those deep connections in Russia, we decided there was not, in Russia itself, there was not, this was not the time to do a linkages, but to look at something that we're calling the Russia. The Eastern Belt. Can you talk just a tad about that, Yuri? Because I think it's fascinating. And it describes a sort of process of taking, doing, making sure that they're theirs or using our people that we trust in moving this network around. I think it, it, it might be a bit of a longer talk than, than the couple minutes we have left, but I do think that the, I, like there is so much attention of, you know, of the Eastern Europe, of Europe in general and Belarusia right now. Uh, there is, there are horrible things happening there. So please, if listeners are not aware, just Google it, right? There is, there is a real fight for freedom happening for the last few months. And uh, it's really probably the one before last dictator of Europe who is holding to power there. Uh, there is the nation that's trying to stand to, to stand against the dictator, right? And peacefully. That started in late August and it keeps happening. Why I think this moment is so important is that it's Belarus is if you look just like geographically at the map, you'll see how how very much it is the last brick of the former Soviet Union. Right? How like if you look from if you'll start from the north and you'll go through uh, Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia and Belarus is there. Then there is Ukraine, which just you know, with the last the last six years in this in this turmoil, but certainly is turning west and certainly is separating itself from the imperial experience with Russia. Uh, it's it feels like there is this new entity with hopefully with the fall of the Belarusian regime is being formed. That's the actual former, not the countries of the East Europe, but the countries of the the the, the European countries of the of the former Soviet 
Union, the former republics of the, of the former Soviet Union, including maybe specifically minding how how dramatic everything is developing in Armenia and Georgia. So, and it looks like be, because the change is happening there now, there is also a lot of really interesting and really brave new art is being produced in these places. So. Uh, maybe honestly, I, I see a lot of Russian artists moving into moving into what we call you know Baltic states or moving uh, actually moving to Ukraine uh, because they find these places now to be more vital, more active artistically, more interesting. So I wonder. I'm very interested in this in this in this new forming region. If and you know. Uh, which is kind of forming in front of our eyes, and um, maybe the next center of the of the cultural life of the region will not be Moscow, St. Petersburg. Maybe it will be Kiev or or Riga or Minsk. Um, that that's 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 something that that a lot of my attention is taken by at the moment. And that seems seems really hopeful too. Um, well, as Yuri, as you mentioned, we have uh, come to the end of our time together, but I just uh, want to give both of you a final moment to, um, you know, if there's anything you see that keeps you hopeful uh, as we come out of the pandemic, as we move forward, I'm just wondering if, the, if you have any thoughts on, on what our listeners can look forward to uh, other than seeing Dima Krimov's production of The Cherry Orchard in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, uh, does anything come to mind? What, are, what, what keeps you hopeful as we, as we come out of this moment? I'm actually very hopeful. I'm, uh, again, I do think I just in, 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 in continuation of this idea of the crisis as, a, as, a, as an instrument of change. I hope, I hope we're coming out of that with, with better understanding what kind of theater we want, what do we want from it artistically, what do we want from it, how, how, it, how, how we want to fit it to fit into the capitalistic system which is it's not really built for, uh, how, we can, uh, how we can step you know, together with with doing live theater, how we can uh, imagine the future digital possibilities uh, of this of this form of art. I think, and you know, if 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 the scene vaccine works, that's that's close. We'll soon be able to experience plenty of new ideas, both ethically and artistically. I hope. Great, Philip, you want to take us home? Any thoughts? Yeah, I think the, my hope lies where most people don't look. Uh, this, this period that we are still maybe just on the other side of the middle, the COVID, but we're just at the beginning of the hill about fixing things that are deeply wrong in this country. The Black Lives Matter and that issue is not going to go. There's no vaccine that anybody has come up with for that. Right. That we are going to find an audience. I'm real interested in thinking about 
who's going to come back to the theater? And have they been changed? Will they be willing to ask for more from us? Will they demand more from us in the theater? And most of the discussion has been about new forms and whether or not institutions are going to survive. And nobody's really paid much attention to what has historically been a small art form. When I started the theater project in 1971, I was mostly influenced by Ed, by uh, 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 Albert Burmel's Ten Conditions for a National Theater and a book two economists wrote, Bowen and Balmall, putting a pinprick in the balloon of the cultural revolution that we were supposed to be having back in the 60s, saying that 1.5% of the urban population went to see one live performing arts event a year. So we've never sold umbrellas or shoes. We've always been doing something that, you know, is not a universal embraced, uh, not universally embraced. But that audience that has a history with us, I think are going to come to us differently. And how we respond to that, how we mine that, how we allow that to open up the forms uh, gives me great, great hope about what those meetings of actor and audience will be like three years from now and 20 years from now. That's, that's just terrific. Um, gentlemen, I find you so inspiring, as you know. Um, you are my heroes. Thank you for this time and for speaking with our audiences. If you are curious about the Center for International Theater Development, I really urge you to visit their website, citd.us. Um, a lot of the projects we are talking about today, the Martin Borosz project, the linkages projects in Poland and Slovakia, tons of publications and, and ways to get news about the international theater community are available on their website. Um, and I really invite you to um, become a part of CITD and support them in this work. Philip and Yuri, until next time, thank you so much. Thank you, Gabriel. Peace. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode of Talking Direction. Join us every week by subscribing while you're here. Also, let us know what you think. You can follow us and engage with us directly on all social media platforms with the handle at Drama League. Talking Direction is a project of the Drama League of New York, America's only not-for-profit, lifelong home for stage directors and the audiences who treasure their work on stage, in films, on television, and across the internet. During the pandemic, we're providing essential services to help theater folk and their families who are suffering from economic and health struggles due to COVID-19. If you'd like to join us in this effort, visit dramaleague.org 
and click donate or become a member. We'd love to have you as part of the Drama League family. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.